1: Today on the show, you and I discuss the American concepts of choice and free will, and why Donald Trump's idea of a military parade is a distinctly socialist move. Can't you see everyone! They're here already!
0: You're next. Let's go! Welcome to the future, where the glass is half full and you'll need new glasses, where you'll be jumping from conclusions. The past is no! Before in history, has so much meant so little to so many? AD on the radio. Do you remember a
1: little while back when everybody woke up, looked at their iPhone, and was just like, Hold on, why does it say I'm more or less out of space? I, I didn't, what the I knew you too, album. I didn't ask for this. What do you mean? iTunes just loaded it onto my phone. I didn't. I don't want that. Oh no! I. What do you mean? I have to delete pictures because of Bono? It was a wildly controversial move in the world of music. There are a couple different people that did something like this. I think. I think Jay Z had this thing where you could you could get his whole album for free if you got a new Samsung phone. I think it was. But he didn't, you know, obnoxiously preload his music onto your phone without your permission. That was the difference. And, well, the folks in U2, like I said, worked it out with Apple and iTunes to where, like, everybody with an iTunes account would get a copy of their album whether they wanted to or not. Now, you would think, you know, or at least U2 seem to think, hey, this will be great publicity and Everybody will get a free album. Uh, What's wrong with free music? A free U2 album. People used to save up their pennies and scrimp and save and go buy a piece of vinyl or a compact disc. Uh, A new U2 album used to come at great personal expense to U2 fans, and we're just making it show up as if by magic. Oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky. I'm Bono, and I'm a great guy. I've decided to do this for you, was sort of like the U2 rhetoric, and it went the exact opposite way. It went the exact opposite way. People, like I said, went, I'm out of space. What do you mean I have to delete? What what do you mean I have to delete photos of my loved ones? What do you mean I have to delete other pieces of my music collection? What do you mean? What do you mean I have to sit here taking the time to delete the new U2 album, which I didn't want in the first place, off of my phone? This eats into my day. This eats into my life. This is incredibly invasive. Bono, suck it. Suck it, Bono, was basically what the entire world turned around and said when U2 decided to grace us with a free U2 album. Now, this is absolutely contradictory to the logic with which it was put out. Like I said, Bono and the rest of U2 thought of it as their gift to the world. And you know what? In a day and age where people paid for music, it might have been a gift to the world. But we don't, and it wasn't. And you know, a lot of people talked about why it wasn't cool for them to have done that but i think i think the best explanation i heard about this came from iggy pop and if you're wondering how this applies to what's going on now today in 2018 stay with me on this one but iggy pop said something incredibly insightful about music he said music is love you make a decision You make a decision about the music that you're going to love. Music is an intensely personal thing. And I'm not surprised that people are angry. I'm not surprised that people are angry even that wanted a new U2 album that it was preloaded onto their phones. Because when you force something on someone like that, when you force something as personal as music on someone like that, What you are doing is you're taking away their choice. You're essentially telling them what it is they're going to love. You're taking away their choice and you're telling them what it is they're going to love. And it resulted, like I said, in a massive, massive backlash against U2. We still make jokes about it. I'm going to update my iTunes. Hopefully it doesn't come with a crappy U2 record that I don't want. But it was so insightful, like I said, what what Iggy Pop had to say about that. Someone who is truly in tune with the visceral, emotional, and spiritual nature of music equated it with love and the removal of choice in terms of what you love. And that's probably why even you 2 fans, people that ordinarily would have been unbelievably stoked to have it, were a little nonplussed and a little offended by the fact that it was forced onto their listening the vice of choice. When you remove choice, you're doing something distinctly un-American. When you expect somebody to be happy about something, when you expect somebody to celebrate something, when you demand of them that they get stoked for something that you think they should be stoked about, it rubs people the wrong way. Especially in America. Because being told, hey, you're going to have this and you're going to like it, well, that is in direct conflict with the tenets of freedom that we live our lives by here. It's an almost socialist thing to shove something down somebody else's throat that way, which is probably, which is probably why Trump's military parade doesn't seem to be picking up that much steam. Radio, 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 radio,
0: 104.1. Where the left and right come together for fundamental truths. AD on the radio. On Twitter at ADSXE.
1: So, yeah. When Bono arranged. When Bono conspired with the folks over at iTunes to have a U2 record preloaded onto everybody's iTunes account, whether they wanted it to or not, it was met with all sorts of resistance. And like you and I were saying, Iggy Pop made the incredible point that what you're doing, even with people that are U2 fans in the first place, in that situation, is you are telling them what to love. You're removing the idea of choice from something that is incredibly, incredibly personal. And when you do that, well, it's almost distinctly un-American. It's almost socialist having something shoved down your throat and being told that you will celebrate it. And for that reason, there was a tremendous backlash, even among YouTube fans, when Bono did that. I'm holding Bono accountable because he's the most easily recognizable member of the band. I'm sure the rest of the dudes were in on it. Edge seems to skate because everybody just looks at Bono. He's the guy out front with a microphone. So we all blamed him for the fact that our iPhones were full that day. And we had to delete precious photos of our family to get the phone to even turn on. Anyways, here's the thing. You might have had this happen to you. You might remember this. You might remember the sense of indignation. But it was the first thing I thought of. The first thing I thought of when I read this morning that, remember this military parade that Donald Trump had planned? He floated the idea probably about four months ago. Yeah, that's not going over super well. And you and I talked for hours at a time about why it was an unbelievably lousy idea. You and I talked about the fact that, oh my gosh, really? You know, we have... Veterans that really, really need every every penny's worth of help that we can give them. We have a desperately broken VA. You yourself promised to put a hotline in the White House so that veterans could call you and be like, things aren't going so well. We're not being treated the way veterans should be treated. And, well, that failed to happen, obviously, because it's completely unre- un- unrealistic. Anybody that fell for that idea is well, just, you know, is what they are. They is what they are, he said, making his AP English teacher shudder in disbelief. But the idea was, you know, take a whole bunch of American tax dollars and parade a giant missile. No need to look too hard for the subtext in that up and down the streets of Washington, D.C. To make you feel like uh, it's a big deal. We're going to celebrate our military. It wasn't celebrating the military, the idea of a military parade. It was the idea of celebrating you. And American military might. Well, guess what? Everybody knows America has a lot of guns and weapons and things that make things go bang. Nobody needs to be told this. No one needs to be reminded of this. And look, you you might be into the idea of a military parade, but if you are, well, you're in the minority. Four months after Trump went, hey, Defense Department, get me a military parade. Not a lot of progress has been made say that the planning is just starting but there's been no budget assigned yet and boy if I'm them I try and keep the budget quiet to the last possible moment because when people start doing the math going this is what it could pay for this is the good that it could do to real veterans this is what we could be doing with these dollars instead of rolling tanks and missiles up and down in front of the White House that's when public outrage and outcry begins We've all been quite recently bent over by Uncle Scam at tax time. And the idea of money being spent on this about makes your blood curdle. There's all sorts of waste of our tax dollars that goes on, but it goes on behind closed doors. This this is essentially, hey, here's a bunch of your tax money. We're going to set it on fire in the middle of the street. And there's nothing you can do about it. That's why folks aren't overly stoked about it. The uh, Pentagon said that lack of momentum is, and I quote, notable. (laughs) And there's low enthusiasm for the event outside the Oval Office. A senior U.S. official said, there's only one person that wants this parade. And (laughs) it's still happening, but people are dragging their feet. Now where did donald trump get the idea for the parade donald trump got the idea for the parade when he was hanging out in france during bastille day That a bastille day parade this past summer just gone by and he saw it and he said to french president emmanuel macron we're going to have to try and top it he saw a display of military might and he went "Ooh, give me one of those but bigger and better make it huge and so he comes back to America, he's talking about the idea of a military parade with military leaders. And there there is this memo, this memo that laid out a skeleton of a parade. A parade from the White House to the Capitol to include wheeled vehicles because tanks could damage the streets. And there's going to be a big display of air power and vintage aircraft with um, themes of veterans and women in the military and Medal of Honor recipients. But did you notice where he got the inspiration for this? He got the inspiration for this in France. You know what France has a whole bunch of that we don't? Socialism as part of their infrastructure. So for, you know military folks to march down the street with machine guns on display and displays of military power as Part of the French pomp and ceremony and circumstance of something like Bastille Day. That's sort of normal But we don't live in France we live in America in France and other socialist countries the idea of choice in terms of this sort of thing has been removed incredibly high taxes, significantly smaller amounts of choice. France and countries like it have been told for years to shut up and deal with this sort of thing. We as Americans, well, we get a little freaking testy when you do that.
0: More stimulation and less irritation. Nine out of ten doctors choose... KPRC. AM 950. Houston's more stimulating talk radio. Don't get the blues. Get all the news. We mean all of you, Guys out there in radio land. All aboard! He's back. AD on the radio. Give it up, yeah. Give it up, yeah. Bring this on, bring this on. Come on, come on. So like I
1: said... It's the idea of choice that really is the defining piece of American thinking in situations like this one. I'll never forget when I first moved to Houston, and here's the thing. if you talk to your average Houstonian, I moved there from New York, I grew up in England, where people think pretty differently, especially in England, significantly so in New York. you know it's interesting i I grew up in England. My family's from the Northeast. I'm from New York. My family's from the Northeast. And in the Northeast, you are pretty likely to walk out your front door and run into a bunch of liberal Democrats. In Houston, the exact opposite is true. You're, you're pretty much likely to run into the exact opposite of liberal Democrats in the street. And, well, when I got to Texas, I mean, I love Texas. When I was a kid in a band, I never expected to love Texas so much. I hadn't spent much time there. I had one really good friend, my best friend, who I met while I was going to school in England. My best friend was from Houston, which played a large part in my decision to move there. But my best friend was from Houston, and I'd visited him. But I was really shocked. When I came from, when I came from England and went to America with the band, I was expecting to like certain cities. I'd been to Boston a lot. I spent a lot of time in New England. I had family there. Boston, in some ways, the more sort of collegiate side of Boston, was was a a good sort of cultural mixture of what I'd grown up with in England and Americanisms. Boston seemed like the type of town for me. And I love Boston. Boston's an incredible, incredible city. I love it there. I always have such a great time when I go to Boston. But... That was the obvious choice. I was shocked to find myself so at home in Texas. When I got to Texas, I realized there's something beautiful and amazing about the people of Texas. There's the whole welcome to Texas vibe. You just got here? What took you so long? Come in. Hang out. Let's talk. Why don't we eat some dead smoked animal together? It's good, good times in Texas. People are fantastic. They're some of the kindest, most giving people I've ever met. They are generous of spirit. They are generous with uh, pretty much everything which is why it was a bit of a shock when I got there and saw what their attitude was, at least many Houstonians attitude was to social programs. I'd had such a great time in Texas. I decided to move there. I had some friends there. Also Texas was a very media driven town. When I was a kid in a band, Uh, with nothing to do when the band was over and done with when I was sitting there going what am I going to do with myself I'm 23 years old hanging out in New York City my resume says singer in a band and I don't even have have a band anymore I've been living on a tour bus for the last seven years I don't have a home all I've got is this backpack full of uh, t-shirts and video games what the hell am I going to do with myself and I was trying to decide where to go I I decided to move to Houston for a couple different reasons one I knew I was going to do something with media and Houston's a very very media driven town two my best friend on planet Earth lived in Houston, so I knew there was that. And then the other thing was, I'd had such a great time every single time on tour. I went to Texas. And like I said, it was a bit of a shock to me because, you know, being a New Yorker that grew up in England, you couldn't think of anything more different than Texas. But man, the people were the greatest. People were the greatest. I found them to be so kind and giving and generous of spirit, which is why, like I said, when I got there, I was a little surprised about their attitude towards social programs because the idea of, you know, taking tax dollars taking tax dollars from someone and putting them into a program that's going to benefit something else or someone else is well you know very much in line with the texan spirit of giving but here's the thing like bono putting a U two album in your itunes collection like trump telling you that you are going to celebrate the military when he has a parade it removes the element of choice and you know what I found? It was a very, very important lesson about human nature. I do a bit of work for charity here and there. And then there's charities that I just support. There's some that, you know, I, I'm involved with as sort of a radio personality. And then there's others that I just like to go, you know, be a part of and lend my support to and, you know, donate or, or you know, time, effort, whatever it is they need. And I found the people of Texas, the people of Texas who are so staunchly against social programs, to be unbelievably generous when they'd had their own fundraisers, when they'd had their own events. When it came to giving of their time, their money, their emotional support, and themselves, I've never experienced a more giving people than the people of Houston, Texas. When New Orleans flooded and Houston essentially took in Louisiana, I've never seen people take action stations to help their fellow man. Unquestionably, unthinkingly, people need help were there to help them. And it became incongruous to me that these people that were so unbelievably generous and giving of spirit, man, it's funny, I just, I was thinking about it now. I, I did an interview with the Dave Matthews band right around the time that new Orleans flooded and refugees from Katrina moved into Houston. And Dave Matthews was doing stuff with tech. it was doing stuff at a show. He was playing in town to raise money for the people of new Orleans. And he just came in. He was like, I've never seen anything like this. I've never seen this sort of uh, people be this aggressively compassionate. God bless Texas. It's, it's an amazing place full of amazing people that are willing to do amazing things for others without even thinking about it. And, Like I said, it was a really, really important and interesting demonstration of an integral part of human nature, an integral part of what it is to be American. Because if you told these people that were giving literally the shirts off of their backs to others, hey, uh, there's a social program in place, we're going to take the shirt off your back and give it to somebody else, a Texan would fight you to the death. For that shirt but they would take off that same shirt and unthinkingly give it to somebody else without a moment's hesitation why because it was their decision to do so you see the point we're making here people are protective of what they've amassed people are protective of their possessions and it's not necessarily because they are greedy. It's not necessarily because they are trying to keep your hands off of them. It's not because they are disingenuous or selfish or any of these uh, negative things that you tend to associate with uh, folks not wanting to give to others. It's because of the element of choice, a personal liberty, of personal freedom to do what you want to do that America was built upon. And this is why Donald Trump's freaking parade is going over like a lead balloon, even among people that want to support the military, even among people that feel as though the military has been hard done by. Everybody sees it for what it is. Everybody knows that it's a massive waste of taxpayer money. Everybody knows that the idea of a military parade Is essentially taking a bunch of our hard-earned tax dollars our blood sweat and tears and setting on fire in the middle of the street for the aggrandization of a man who wants to publicly parade his missile and that's why even among people that are trump supporters even among people that are military supporters that want to do everything they can to honor and recognize the military this idea isn't going over well like we said where did he get the idea to do this He got the idea to do this in France. What's France got that uh, America doesn't? A whole bunch of socialist infrastructure. And so, when you get things like housing benefit and unemployment and healthcare for your tax dollars, you trade in some of your choices. You trade in some of your freedom. You trade in some of your personal liberties. You trade in your ability to have a leg to stand on when they say they're going to have a military parade to celebrate Bastille Day the way they did in France. Now, the people of France might not see it that way. There might be people that have lived in France arguing with me and yelling at the radio right now, but the bottom line is they get stuff in exchange for their lack of choice. We don't get that in America. We hang our hats on freedom. We hang our hats on freedom of decision of personal liberties it's funny a buddy of mine a buddy of mine who is in california buddy of mine who's in california said he wouldn't want a tax break now california is an absolutely ridiculously broken place from a taxation perspective and an infrastructure infrastructure perspective the average californian is taxed more than the average english person Now, the average English person, in exchange for their incredibly high rate of taxation, gets all this stuff, most notably socialized medicine, which isn't perfect, but you know that if you break your leg, you can get a cast and you won't have to start a GoFundMe page. You know that if you get the flu, you can get antibiotics and it's going to cost you two pounds, 50, not $85 a pop with health insurance or whatever the hell it winds up being. I don't know, but... For less taxes, folks in California, for less taxes, folks in England get more than the people of California. And I remember talking to a buddy of mine. He was like, I wouldn't want a tax break because they're not going to give me any taxes, any significant tax break here. What I would want is more for my tax dollars. You know, they're taxing me out the yang here. Can I get some socialized medicine? It's a pipe dream, I know, but it's a principle of the thing. But we don't even get that. So, being fiscally raked over the coals by Uncle Scam every single April, as if that wasn't an indignity enough, as if that wasn't broken enough, as if it didn't hurt enough to look at other countries that are taxed less than Americans and go, they get so much more in exchange for it. As if that weren't enough, Donald Trump decided... That we were going to have a military parade inspired by the actions of a socialist president or the president of a nation where socialism is still very much a thing. He was like, we need one of those, too. And then he came back to America, decided to plunk a distinctly socialist idea. You will respect the military military parade that's going on in our nation's capital. You will honor our troops. When you tell people what they will do and what they will feel in America, you're going to be met with a rousing chorus of, kiss my ass. Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me what to think. Nobody tells me what to feel. I think it's why punk rock is sort of an intrinsically American thing. It's sort of declaring your independence. I've got it hardwired into me and I don't know whether it's because I went to too many punk rock shows when I was a kid or whether I grew up listening to minor threat albums or what the hell the case was. But like when somebody tells me what I will or won't do, my immediate response is bite me. (laughs) And I think that's true of many Americans. And it's especially true of many Americans when they go, you will respect our military might. So yeah, the idea of Donald Trump's military parade not going over especially well. It didn't go over well with us, the American people, and within government, not so much. There's all these costs. Defense can pay for some things out of its training budget by assigning a pilot who needs flight hours to do the flybys. Using vehicles from nearby military bases and troops stationed in the capital region doesn't come with that high of a price tag. But there's other parade costs that the Pentagon isn't responsible for, from secret service and police overtime to renting, constructing, and taking down risers, stands, and barriers. And there's no White House budget for the event either. A spokesperson for the National Security Council said the Department of Defense will provide options to the White House for a decision. But what does that mean? People within the White House have said there's no reason to do it aside from bolstering Trump's ego. And that's absolutely true. You want to have a support of our you want to have support of our military? Well, you take those tax dollars, those tax dollars that most of us would be very happy to know are going to veterans in need. You take those tax dollars that you failed to do anything meaningful with when it comes to helping veterans. You take those tax dollars that haven't been used to set up the hotline in the White House that you promised. You take those tax dollars and you take them to places like naval hospitals where young men have been blown to oblivion and are trying to figure out exactly how they are literally going to pick up the pieces of their body and their life and move on and do something with themselves. And you make it rain our tax dollars on them and do something meaningful for them. Meanwhile, you tell us that we're going to have a day of military support. We, we will take to the streets. We will honor these people. We will take it upon ourselves because we have chosen to do so, to support our military by marching through the streets for them. Your socialist ideas of parading a missile down Main Street in Washington, yeah, those won't fly with us and that's increasingly evident
0: AG on the radio.
1: So I don't know if you caught it or not, but Jerry Seinfeld, I think, if he wants to, has a very real case against the folks over at McDonald's who have essentially stolen something from him concept. I remember I remember when that show Undateable came out and you remember Jerry Seinfeld had that bit in Seinfeld where like most of the population is undateable and when he saw that undateable was a show, he was like, my own network stealing from me. So he notices these notices these things and he has, you know, I think as many creative people do, a certain amount of a protective attitude towards the stuff that he's created. The idea of somebody profiting off of something that he sweated over doesn't sit well with him, and you can kind of sort of understand that. So for one very specific reason, Jerry Seinfeld, I think, has a case against the folks over at McDonald's. Have you heard about this? We'll get into it a little later on in the show. I mean, it's not like Jerry Seinfeld needs the money it's sort of like the principle of this thing of the thing i think everybody's lost count of how much money jerry seinfeld has made off of seinfeld over the years it's like millions upon millions upon millions of dollars those that have millions upon millions of dollars often say that the first million is the toughest to make i wonder at what point jerry seinfeld made his first million do you think it was before or after the tv show i mean he was already a very successful stand-up comic but i have to imagine he didn't become a millionaire until the tv show came out and eventually hit but yeah Apparently, according to those that have made them, the first million of your many millions is the toughest.
0: bought a new pair of sneakers the other day. I think, I think I got a good price. I put $50 down and I'm paying $5 a month for 60 months. I need to make some money. I've been reading these books now, how the millionaires write books, and they, they all say the same thing. They, they say, making that first million is the toughest. Yeah. I'm finding that to be the case. I hope the second million isn't this tough. In fact, I might have a little trouble with a thousand barrier. The money I do, the money I do have is all tied up in Pokemon cards. Yeah. I had, to, I had to sell some Beanie Babies to get the Pokemon cards. But I wanted to diversify my portfolio.
1: The brilliant Dennis Regan on becoming a millionaire. <laughs> I actually, I was never a millionaire, but right out of high school, while I was still in high school, I was in this band, and immediately we got a record deal, and there was a big bidding war. There was like three or four different record labels competing based on one performance and a demo tape. It used to be like this. Now, man, I feel bad for guys and bands now. It's a tough road to hoe. It's really, really difficult. Like If you get a record deal... eh, Here's $25, a van and a peanut butter sandwich. Split it between the five of you. Uh, here's, here, well, $25 is supposed to go to gas, try and not spend it all at once. Your first show is in Detroit. Oh, you're in Dallas now? Well, better start figuring it out. That's what it's like to get a major label recording contract in the year 2018. And when I was a guy in a band, we'd had sort of like an indie deal in England. And then when we came to America, it was bidding wartime. And all these different record labels pulled out their checkbooks and were prepared to write massive, massive checks based on the fact that we had a really good demo tape. We had some success in our native England and based on the fact that we put on, we did put on one of the best live shows you've ever seen. If you ever, if you're one of the people that is all sorts of into pulling up little bits and pieces about me. I I get so many emails from people like, was this you? Was this you on this TV show? Yeah, that was. Did I used to listen to you on this radio station? Yeah, probably you did. Uh, Is there any chance that this is your band? A lot of people have dug up my band's old album, and that's cool, and there's moments on there that I'm tremendously proud of. A lot of it I found to be kind of cringeworthy. You have to remember that I wrote most of these songs when I was about 16 years old, but if there's one thing that I would hang my hat on is that we were literally the best live band in the land. That was how we made our way in the world by being good live we didn't care who we were playing with we didn't care where we were on the bill we just knew that when we left the building it was our mission to blow everybody else off of that stage we viewed it like a competitive sport and we won that fight every single night because we took no prisoners and we didn't care and that's what we wanted to do and when you get a bunch of people with that mindset well uh, it was a very very powerful thing so we were the best live band on the face of the planet and based on that based on sort of you know a demo some moderate success in our native england and a blazing live show record labels fell all over themselves to grace us with entirely too much money really when you think about what's necessary to make an album i mean the album that we made involved locking out two massive recording studios it was like sorry billy joel and celine dion uh this kid from england is going to need this studio for a little while That was honestly what happened. Like, Celine Dion's recording got pushed back so we could go make our record. It was absolutely ridiculous, but it was the case. And uh, we got a phenomenally large amount of money. And I think back on it now, and I'm like, what if we didn't lock out two recording studios? What if we didn't get tour buses? What if we didn't get all these crew members? What if we didn't get custom-built flight cases to carry our gear around the world? What if we didn't spend all those dollars on... (laughs) all these things when we were living in that major label system i wouldn't say that i was a i would would have become a millionaire but at the end of it what was i left with i was left with a bunch of happy memories i was left with well the idea that i'd learned a bunch it was kind of like college everybody else went to college i was in a band that was sort of like my fraternity and at the end of it we all sort of looked at each other and went well that was stupid but we had some fun and we learned some stuff and i often think back about the amount of money that was frittered away on pointless things and uh wonder what it would have been like if we'd held on to it a little bit more i would have been left with significantly more i think than tax debt (laughs) but then again the memories might not have been Quite as happy i don 't know I do know this though one notable millionaire whos always who's been a millionaire for as long as we can remember him um, might have a very good reason to become. Even more wealthy when he sues McDonald's. We are, of course, talking about Jerry Seinfeld. Why might Jerry Seinfeld sue McDonald's? Why would he be perfectly within his rights to sue McDonald's? We'll get into that and uh, the news and the events of today next. Thank you so much for hanging out. If you've got anything to add to the conversation, hit me up and let me know at adsxe. Where you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at adsxe, or you can email me ad at iheartradio.com. Thanks.
0: Stimulation to the professionals. Everyone is so smart. KBRC. More stimulating talk radio. There's something happening here, and you should know what it is. (laughs) The dumbing up of America. Now, more AD on the radio.
1: So you and I will talk a little bit later about how the already unbelievably wealthy Jerry Seinfeld could become even more wealthy in the not-too-distant future by suing McDonald's. We'll also get into the events of today in our segment My Witness News, but before we do any of that, i got, I got to play you something. I did, did you see this Pornhub, the folks over at Pornhub? what's this website i hear you speak of ad no, never heard of it say numerous concerned boyfriends and husbands in the car with their significant others porn hub oh maybe at some stage in the game with my significant other i will take a look at that a look at that and we will see if there's anything on it we can enjoy together <laughs> Pornhub recently announced that they're adding closed captioning to their videos so people who are hard of hearing can keep up with the storylines <laughs> It's the greatest freaking thing ever. If you have never tried Pornhub personally, you might be surprised to know that they also have audio descriptions, uh, audio descriptions of uh, some videos for blind users. Yeah, yeah. No, seriously. Pornhub has audio descriptions of some videos for blind users. Seriously, all adult entertainment should be done this way. It's It's hilarious. It's awesome. It's one of the greatest things I've ever heard. And when you think about it, it's extraordinarily considerate.
0: A white woman, in a cheap-looking red power suit, sits next to a tall, lanky white, middle-aged man with brown hair, a white shirt, gray suit, and a red-striped tie. We move to an interview where we see a teen girl from the waist up sitting in a bright white room, cut to a side shot inside the cab, and a girl gets in, black hair, lots of makeup, and squeezing a nice, curvy figure into a tight blue dress. The video begins with a small Latina with dirty blonde hair, lying face down on a massage table with nothing but a small towel covering her She's on her hands and knees, her back pleasantly arched. Her butt points up and out. We cut to a POV of a guy looking at a hot teen lying on the bed on her belly. The video opens with a young white girl. She puts a piece of equipment back on a shelf, then tiptoes around the corner to look over at something. When he tells her that he can't work his tanning bed, she bends over and her Points
1: right up at him. Like I said, it's the greatest and in many ways, most considerate thing ever. All right. You and I will get into exactly what's going on with Jerry Seinfeld and why he has a rock solid case against perhaps a poor choice of words after that segment. um, Why he has an absolutely airtight case. Yeah, That'll do against McDonald's if he decides to sue them after we check out what's going on in the world of the news. Lindsay Lohan has gone on the record saying that her party girl days are behind her. So, yeah, I guess she's uh, drinking again, as are her getting calls from her agent days. Lark Voorhees, who played Lisa Turtle on Saved by the Bell, apparently visited the pop-up diner in Los Angeles, inspired by the show. If you're a fan of Saved by the Bell, I hear this is freaking incredible. And if you do happen to be in the Los Angeles area, people love it. It's a pop-up diner inspired by Saved by the Bell. And Lark Voorhees, who, like I said, played Lisa Turtle on the show, visited a little while ago. I just think things got a little bit awkward when she asked for a job application. Madame Tussauds in Las Vegas unveiled a new wax statue of Khloe Kardashian. Yes, it's uh, just like the real thing with slightly less wax and slightly more discernible talent. Congratulations to Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees who was knighted by the royal family. Yeah, Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees was made a knight by the royal family. This is nice and everything. But I think I sort of quit thinking this was that big of a deal after they did the same thing to Sir Mix-a-Lot. Oh my gosh! This? Th- did you hear about this dude, Archie Bradley? Oh, th- this is amazing stuff. This is absolutely incredible. Um, generally speaking... Generally speaking, you tend to feel in the year 2018 that it's all been done. There's nothing new left to be accomplished, especially in the world of sports. I mean, how far can you really progress these sorts of things? People are throwing fastballs at a little over 100 miles an hour. It's not like anyone's ever going to throw a 200 mile an hour fastball. At some point, we as a species are going to max out. So there's not that many firsts left left in the world of sports. But did you hear about this? The incredible event that happened at this baseball game the other night? Now, I'm not sure, but I think it might be a first. And either way, it's crazy. What happened was this. Arizona Diamondbacks relief pitcher Archie Bradley revealed that he pooped his pants during the game. Yeah, Archie Bradley, relief pitcher for the Diamondbacks, pooped his pants during a game. This is a pitcher who's known for his filthy pitches. Now more so for his filthy britches. (laughs) I think for his convenience, uh, the Diamondbacks have decided to keep a stack of Reader's Digest magazines on the mound moving forward. Uh, He got the job done, though. I I don't know if you saw it, but ironically, he went out there and had a very clean inning. Why? Well, because his team, his team depends on him. (laughs) Uh, Opposing managers say Tim Tebow is starting to look like a legitimate professional baseball player. Okay, I am a fan of the New York Mets. And the entirety of the world laughed at me when they found out that we'd signed Tim Tebow to a minor league deal. And a lot of people said, what the hell are the Mets doing? Now, there are so many more things to laugh at the Mets about. Like, it is an absolutely disastrous and in many ways heartbreaking season. General manager of the team, Sandy Alderson, has had to go on indefinite medical leave because he, uh, well, his cancer is back. And that's no fun. And... Even before that, we were just having, like I said, a disastrous season. We had an unbelievably hot start. The sort of start that makes you feel like your baseball team is going to sail into the postseason with ease. And then it all went horribly wrong. It all went horribly wrong at a game I was at, actually. I went to see them in San Diego play the Padres. I love seeing I love well I mean first and foremost Petco Park in San Diego is one of the most beautiful ballparks in America. Some people say it's the most beautiful ballpark in America, but it's really special. There's a cool ocean breeze, you're comfortable, there's not a bad seat in the house. It's a really great place to watch a ball game. And the other thing about it is it was sort of for me returning to It was almost like a pilgrimage for me because it was a few years ago that I saw Bartolo Colon hit his only home run in San Diego. The seven-line army, Mets fans from New York who liked to road trip and go support the team, was there, and I was there with them. And we saw the impossible become possible, and Bartolo Colon hit his home run. And it was a time where I was going through a lot of different stuff, and it was not a good period of my life for a bunch of different reasons I won't bore you with, but I'll never forget the healing power of bartolo cologne's home run and the idea that anything is possible that i got from that so i returned to the scene of this incredible event hoping to relive a little bit of the magic and i had some of the best seats no i had the best seats i've ever had for any ball game ever i was right behind home plate which meant i was ringside to watch the mets take the worst beating i've ever seen them take ever <laughs> It was incredible and magical to be there watching him take batting practice just a few, a couple of short feet away. And then it was devastatingly awful to see them get blown out by the freaking San Diego Padres. And by the way, this is when the Mets were still looking good. Now, everybody would expect them to get thrashed by the Padres, but I think we got blown out 12 to 4, 12 to 2. I don't know. I just had my head in my hands. It's funny because. I was there during that game, and people could see me on TV. I had those seats. That's how good my seats were. I don't know exactly how I ended up with them, but I did, and it was magical. And people were like, take your head out of your hands. We're watching you look depressed on TV. It sucked. So there's all sorts of reasons to laugh at my beloved New York Mets beyond the fact that they signed Tim Tebow. Now, Tim Tebow, in case you did not know, has the same sports agent as, I believe, Jacob deGrom and Ioannis Cespedes. And I think there was a certain element of, you want these guys, then you're going to take this guy as part of the wheeling and dealing. And then the other thing is, it's the business of show. Tim Tebow is a celebrity that'll put asses in seats at minor league games. And if he ever gets called up for whatever reason, and really what have they got to lose at this stage in the game, um, people will show up to see that. But yeah, Tim Tebow is starting to look like a legitimate professional baseball player. Right. Well, you can attribute his improved performance to a simple fact. Baseball is not football. Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy is retiring. This is going to be the first opening on the high court since President Obama murdered Justice Antonin Scalia and made it look like a heart attack. Kennedy is retiring now because he wants to spend more time with his family. Plus, Ruth Bader Ginsburg's flatulence is getting way out of control. I believe uh, donald trump is really excited mostly because putin is allowing him to make a decision on a nominee all by himself sarah huckabee sanders has been given secret service protection after ever ever since she got bounced out of that red hen restaurant in lexington things have gotten a little bit tense in that department so now sarah huckabee sanders has secret service protection which i am sure will help her blend in more easily with other restaurant patrons Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who scored a big upset win in a New York congressional district primary, recently worked as a bartender in Manhattan. Yeah, she worked as a bartender in Manhattan. She's like 28 years old, I think. And well, it was a total upset. And it's calling into question a lot of different things, which we'll get into at a different juncture. But yeah, recently she worked as a bartender in Manhattan. Oh, well, then she'll be right at home in Congress among even more low-life drunks. Bill Gates recently donated $4 million to a project that gets this, that get this, creates mosquitoes that kill themselves during the sex. Bill Gates recently donated $4 million to a project that creates mosquitoes that kill themselves during sex. Wow. And I thought I was into some bizarre porn. All right. So let's for a second talk a little bit about what's going on with Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, first and foremost, did you see this? Jerry Seinfeld weighed in on, I believe it was Entertainment Tonight or something like that, saying he doesn't think Roseanne should have been fired.
0: I didn't see why it was necessary to fire her. Why would you murder someone who's committing suicide? Yeah, that that had to be. But I never saw somebody end their entire career with one button push.
1: That was fresh. (laughs) He makes an interesting point. So I'm not sure if it's good that the top fast food chain in the world is getting its hottest ideas from a 21-year-old sitcom episode, but here you go. McDonald's breakfast sales have been slumping, so they just announced a new project to turn things around. What is it? Muffin tops. Yeah, muffin tops. You can actually go into you can go into a McDonald's in the not-too-distant future, and you can buy a muffin top.
0: I can't believe somebody put the top off this muffin. That was me. I'm sorry. I'm... I don't like the stumps.
1: (laughs) So you just eat the tops?
0: Oh, yeah, it's the best part. It's crunchy, it's explosive, Mm -hmm. it's it's where the muffin breaks free of the pan and sort of does its own thing. (laughs) I'll tell you, that's a million-dollar idea right there. Just sell the tops.
1: (laughs) Top of the muffin to you. Uh, And you know If Jerry Seinfeld Or whoever the hell Wrote the Muffin Tops episode Wanted to go after him And sue I think they would be Well within their rights Maybe this is how They're getting around it I'm looking I'm looking at the picture Right now Uh huh Yeah they're not calling them Muffin Tops they're not calling them muffin tops. They're calling them the McCafe muffin toppers. Where's this ad from? I thought they were, oh, okay. So all right, if you listen in Pennsylvania, apparently they test, they, they, they beta tested the muffin tops at Pennsylvania McDonald's. If you've had one of these, I'd be kind of curious. Hit me up and let me know how it went at ADSXE. That's where you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ADSXE, or you can email me ad at iheartradio.com. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, hey, that is it for me. We've covered an awful lot this week. Everything from the idea of free will, the concept of equality, all the way down to the recipe ideas that we get from our favorite 1990s sitcom. So I think that's a wrap. Have yourself an awesome one. I'll be back soon. We'll do it all over again. I love you like an obese child enjoys baked confections. Yes, like a fat kid loves cake, or you know, muffin tops. Later. 18- plus.